You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. <laughs> so, do you want to get on to archaeology then? Okay, okay. Um, give me a moment. Give me a moment. I have to think. I have to think. Okay. It's Anarchy in the Kitchen today with this special episode of the Soup and Sandwich Meal Deal. In today's episode, I, the Anarchaeologist, will be talking to Mr. Soup of Archaeosoup Productions. If you want to check out his YouTube channel, the link will be below. Today we take a few of the archaeological news stories that have been kicking around the last month, and we try and see what we can make out of them. So today we have a wonderful, lovely, sunny day. Uh, definitely up here in northeast Scotland, which doesn't happen very often. How's it down there in England, Mr. Soup? <laughs> you know, I, I'm incredibly uncomfortable with you calling this England. I mean, I'm a Welshman in the northeast. I mean, you know. Um, but yes, in, in England, in the northeast of England, um, it's actually incredibly warm. I, I went to the went to, just up the road before with the dog, and it's um, very hot. Well, you know, obviously. It's all relative, but it's a very nice day. That's good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad it's a nice day. You, are you ready to take down some archaeological news? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you do quite a few news stories, don't you, on your show? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, uh, the, uh, this Friday actually is the uh, is the deadline for this month's uh, soup news. So actually, the, the, everyone who who works at the towers, as it were, we're going to be um, once a month. We sort of put together a little. Yeah, our picks of news stories from the month. But yeah, we, yeah, we do, we do. It's uh, it's something that we do. Um, but I th- this could be quite an interesting format, though. I like the idea of uh, of being a little bit more critical yeah. um, as opposed to being, you know, <laughs> on the fence. Yeah, and just a, just a notice for anybody listening, this is going to definitely, we're going to be tearing down some stuff here. So, you know, like, like, <laughs> there is going to be a definite slant on this news. So th- there is there is a bias. I don't know what the bias is yet, but there will be a bias. So don't think this is some unbiased news story. Can we make fun of the news? We're allowed to do that? Yeah, we're allowed to do that. <laughs> I hope, I hope uh, so first up, of course, is a story going around, um, which I, I, I feel that this story is being... I think a little bit old, which is ironic for an archaeology story. Um, this story is about apparently people are finally realizing that cognition and complex thought shaped hand axes during the Stone Age. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an old one. I mean, because as we were just we were just saying before, I suppose before we started recording, the uh, this is like one of the the main basic bases, as it were basis of uh of cognitive archaeology it's it's one of the reasons why we started thinking we can th- try and think of, um about how pre homo sapien hominins uh, or hominids thought i mean um uh, back in what was it 1998 i think um maybe 1999 uh oh no sorry 1996 
thereabouts in the 90s um Stephen Mythen wrote uh, the prehistory of the mind you know and, and that's that so that's that that book is based on an interaction between archaeology neuroscience and also looking at for example stone tools I mean what why is this news I'm assuming the 90s the mid 90s was the difficult time for you Mr soup your memory kind of seems to wonder <laughs> by that time. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, no. uh, you know, I was, uh, I was 12. Oh dear. <laughs> Those heady days. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you, you, you can, but the thing is, of course, this, this is new, new evidence, of course. Um, basically of, of course we know that, uh, cognition is something and complex cognition is what dr uh, drove, are us to create tools and stuff, but I think w what's happening now is people are kind of showing a link. So, um, kind of working out exactly, demonstrating that this was the case and how it was the case. Um, so, I mean, this is the, this is an interesting thing because I'm pretty sure people will argue ad infinitum about the, how, how we developed our thought because I mean, that is one of the interesting things if we go back even further you know what is you know consciousness and you know it leads up to the point where we go well we're starting to manipulate stuff that doesn't exist it only exists in our head and we're managing mm -hmm. to create things not by copying something else but by having an idea in our head and using our hands to eke it out i mean that that is something quite amazing and i think maybe the Maybe we need to say that this news story is, you know, um, showing how complex cognition formed these tools. I don't know. What do you think, Mr. Soup? Well, I don't know. It, it's, it is a strange one in so much. As you say, the, I suppose the, it is a proof of concept a bit more. It's, it's a bit more exploring the mechanism. And therefore, I suppose that is newsworthy, I guess. Um, but it, it's one of those things where it's... Uh, it's it's been sort of somewhat undeniable for a long time that that the, the ability to hold a design in mind and replicate it or or even um, update it has uh, is one of the uh, the central I suppose uh, pillars upon which um, human intelligence is built and uh, and perhaps uh, I don't know perhaps 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 we're being a bit mean maybe but uh, but I think at the same time it's it's not it's not it's not that much news it's the way the headlines written maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe what they should say is it's it's been it's been shown. Yeah, the mechanism's been shown, but that's that's not really a headline, well, is it? No. I mean, the, the other thing is quite interesting is that um, part of the study was about taking young uh, undergrad students, of course, who are the biggest guinea pigs in the world, and getting teach it, like getting them to flint nap and then teaching them how to flint nap a certain way, and then doing brain scans on them, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. I think is really cool. Um, again. You know, like, well, I mean, how has the brain changed, you know, since the Stone Age, you know? I yeah, mean, well, frankly, how has it changed since you went to university? I mean, you know, all those hangovers. Oh, yes, of but, course. Yeah, yeah. But no, 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 joking aside, no, you're right. I mean, and actually, I suppose in that sense, showing yeah, showing this mechanism is, is very important. And, and I suppose the fact that uh, in that sense, it's a broader, it links in more broadly, I guess, with, um, was it Dawkins and meme theory and all this kind of thing. The idea actually that actually these ideas do take up a physical presence yeah. or certainly have a physical uh, uh, sorry, engender a physical change in mm. the brain is an important one and the fact that you know the question is i suppose the question becomes at what point did uh the human brain 
Mm. Obviously, by human, I mean the extension of of, of all humans. Um, when did the human brain become capable of of of, of uh, holding this sort of meme, this idea yeah. in its in its head, in 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 a, in a way which could be comprehensively replicated? Uh, yeah. So, but again, that's not really a headline. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, so it's more like a study, you know. Like... So. <laughs> It's more like a study, isn't it? It's like something that like uh, somebody who's interested in that specific area would be quite interested. In. I think I think it's it's very good. Um, I I hope that it continues to be studied because ultimately we want to get to the point where we do understand more about how ideas and tools formed in the past. I think that'd be quite and actually cool. actually I, I just just had a thought actually. Um... I suppose this this could also have implications for, for example, uh, educational theory. You know, that is to say, if we can learn at the most basic level how we hold ideas and pass ideas on, then uh, it's probably a good it's, it's a good thing for uh, the theory of teaching and also actually just the theory of or theories of say revision. This kind of stuff it'll help. Yeah, it could actually have broader implications in terms of how we learn how we think and how we uh, go to go on to teach others how to think perhaps you know so from food for thought onto humans as food we mm. travel away to goth's cave now i don't know if you heard about the story this is about ritual cannibalism at goth's cave about 1400 1500 15000 years ago sorry <laughs> there's a lot of difference there <laughs> so obviously uh, analysis of ancient kind of remains has kind of suggested that there's possibly human gnaw marks on the bones and there seems to be a little bit of kind of like you know like human tooth marks on human bone so we're kind of mm -hmm. wondering well what's going on here mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so what's interesting obviously is uh, is this just um an occurrence where it's been, you know, uh, there's just not enough resources for this group and they have had to basically resort to cam cannibalism. Has the person, like, has the individual died and they've kind of said, well, you know, might as well use the body. Or is it a ritual uh, kind of um, thing? I, I, it's one of those interesting questions. Because how, how can we tell? Sorry. Yeah, this is an interesting question. And, and it's one which I... Um, I actually, for a moment, I turn into an anthropologist when I think about this question. Um, and the reason for that is because <sighs> cannibalism is very dramatic and it's very, uh, for want of a better word, it's very sort of grimly sexy. People like talking about it, especially when they talk about early interactions with, say, um, their Polynesian cultures or cultures in, in little islands in the middle of nowhere, this kind of thing. You know, you hear about Sp Spanish, Portuguese, British, Dutch people sort of going, oh, they're cannibals and they're going to eat your brains and this kind of thing. And, um, and yet, despite that, there's not really much evidence for habitual, normal eating of human flesh as a dietary... Um, uh, as a mainstay of, of the diet, you know, as a as a as a uh, as a, a key part of, of of what people are eating culturally, it's it's not one of these. Um, it's not like bread, you know. It's it's something which yeah. is done. If it's done, it's done real ritualistically, and if it's done, it may be linked with possibly warfare, you know. Uh, but it's not. It's not. A, it's not something you just do. You don't just eat people, and that's the, anthropologically speaking. It's never been observed that it that it is a staple of the diet, um, but. When you go, for example, I know I know people who have gone 
on trips, say, to Cheddar Gorge. And uh, friends um, have, have reported back, but also I saw this uh, on, um, uh, on, in, on national news not that long ago, yeah. a couple, about a year ago. This guy going, um, well, you know, if you've been here, like, you know, 15,000 years ago, 15,000 BC, sorry, um, you would have seen people just eating each other. <laughs> and, and you go, what? Because, because mm-hmm. in the case of Cheddar Gorge, and in, I mean, this actually, this, this particular news story does link it in with other yeah. um, potential events around Europe. For example, I think there's something in Spain that's mentioned as well. Mm. Um, but these are moments in time, and the fact that they are preserved may speak something of their, um, of their, the fact that they are removed from normal everyday life. They are actually either happening in extreme circumstances. So in Cheddar Gorge, it's so damn cold mm. that outside. Um, you know, there's n- really not much food, and if Joe Blog, uh, Joe Blog's freeze to death next to you, you may well consider eating him. Um, or it's in a cave; it's removed from everyday life, and perhaps it is somehow ritualistic. I, I really, I get very nervous when I think about the idea of normalising in the minds of the public um, cannibalism in the Paleolithic. Yeah. Uh, and the main reason for that is because. You know, we're only just just about starting to get to the point where people ac- accept something other than this vision of knuckle-dragging Neanderthals as being everyone's history. Uh, and to, some, to somehow start talking about this as though, we, oh, yeah, it just happened, everyone did it, is very, very dangerous. I think, I think we, need to, we need to tread carefully here, possibly. So this kind of reminds me of the interactions between the Spanish conquistadors and... Uh, the peoples in South Americas, uh, in the South Americas, when there was kind of expansion going on, and I think it's kind of the same idea. It's almost like projected onto the past, and it's this idea mm-hmm. that societies evolve in a specific manner, and like it's this. Uh, what I really, really dislike is this idea that like there's a proto form of humans, like, and you, you kind of you work your way up through civilization to reach you know, the Western world today, you know, th- this is what's implicit in this kind of idea about, oh, you know, oh, Bronze Age religion, which I've heard taught, uh, like, as a derogatory term for Christianity before, and I think it just all plays into this idea that humanity has a specific way of um, becoming what it is today, and I just, I, I think this is another example that you're completely right, we have to be careful about yeah, and I mean, to slightly go off topic, um, but to, yeah, just to touch on that, there, there is this assumption that there is this that there is such thing as humanity today, but actually, humanity today includes a heck of a lot of stuff that some people yeah. won't agree with, and the fact that it is around today means that it is just as valid. That that that's a, that's a central uh, tenant of archaeology and anthropology is that these things are just as evolved as it were. Yeah. They're they're just different, you know, in the same way that I'm just as evolved as an earthworm. I can't eat soil, you know? Mm-hmm. Well done. The earthworms beat me there. And <laughs> you know, and it's around. So uh, th- this idea that somehow uh that that's that for example religious expression or tribal lifestyles or whatever are vestiges of the past yeah. is nonsense. They're they're here now. Yeah. They're present today. And they exist for a reason. And um, if they did, if they you know, if there wasn't a reason, then you know, it's, I mean, it's been shown that this stuff will disappear. I think there's there's an in, uh, important interplay between you know obviously there's obviously some sort of hubris with certain things and certain w- things you know have a habit of sticking around. But no, you, I think on the on the total you, you're you're uh, 
you're correct in that. I'm sorry I'm sniffing. I've got... <laughs> I think it's hay fever or cold. I get it every single morning, so I think it's hay fever. But actually, interesting enough about uh, Neanderthals is, once again, there's more information about uh, Neanderthals and the way they treat their dead. Um, there's, um, it might, uh, there's a site in France, uh, mm-hmm. a site of Malarac, Mal Marillac, Marillac. I'm not very good at my French, so sounds like a chocolate bar. It does, it does. Um, <laughs> I actually, I would not, I wouldn't mind. Uh, uh, Marillac, <laughs> try new Marillac chocolate bar now with ninety percent reindeer, because obviously the site has ninety percent reindeer uh, <laughs> uh, remains. Obviously, Monsterian tools. I, I think that's Mysterian. really cool. What? Mysterian. Monsterian. Mysterian. Mysterian? Yeah. <laughs> Have I been saying it wrong for five years? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've been saying it wrong for five years. Um, <laughs> but don't please believe me on the rest of it. So obviously Neanderthals are very interesting because of their kind of like us, but they're not like us situation. Because obviously as a species... They they seem distinct, but our definition of species doesn't can't include them. So basically, species species basically um, technically means that you can two two animals can breed and have a viable offspring. So that offspring mm-hmm. can go on to breed. But um, the thing is, Neanderthals. There is obviously we found Neanderthal DNA in our genome, and it mm-hmm. means that despite uh, humo, humans, Homo sapiens sapiens, and uh, Homo ne- ne- neanderthalis. Yep. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, being separate, quote unquote, species, we were managed to create viable offspring. So it kind of makes them a kind of like in between kind of species, not species that's thing. Sort of, sort of cousins, I suppose. I mean, that's possibly it. Yeah, but yeah, you about, shouldn't uh, breed with your cousins. Like, let, let's just put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, interestingly enough, uh, Charles Darwin um, married his cousin. And then I believe one of his children um, uh, was so scarred by the fact that his father had invented uh, this this theory of evolution and possibly cousin cousin marriage wasn't a good idea. That uh, he went on to write, a, a think, I'm pretty sure, a dissertation all about um, how it's okay to marry a cousin. So, <laughs> oh, okay, so, yeah, yeah. So, cousin marriage, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, the father of the of some of these ideas, uh, he, you know, it, it, it's do what I say, not what I do. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, no. Coming back to the story, that I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, there is that, but also, I don't know if you saw, but uh, earlier this month, uh, I think on the twenty second of April. Um, in uh, various newspapers, including the Daily Mail, uh-huh. um, there was a story about whether or not Neanderthals died out because they couldn't master fire. That somehow, um, and as it said here, um, humans had the edge. And you're like, well, Neanderthals are humans, um, but it goes on to say modern humans, so Homo sapiens. That somehow we mm-hmm. we could we could use fire, they couldn't. And mm. this is what so this is something that continues to bother me. Is that this, there doesn't seem to be any attempt to synthesize, especially when it comes to Neanderthals. Everything that they can do. I mean, there's, there's been some grand attempts, like uh, Mellars did an amazing job at bringing together what what the evidence, say, in the 90s and mm-hmm. uh, the early 2000s of what, uh, what Neanderthals could do was and what this might mean. But people, when it's convenient, they forget 
and they very deliberately compartmentalize Neanderthal science mm. and they say, oh, well, clearly these guys, they, they, they had no fire at all whatsoever. Whereas things like, say, I don't know, the, uh, is it the Shoningen spears? Yeah. I, I believe that there's evidence of, of use of fire there mm. um, on wooden spears um, to sort of temper the, the, the tips. And also the, the very idea that, that a human species um, uh, could exist in at the height of an ice age in Europe without fire is nonsensical. Um, of course, they had fire. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, uh, it's it, 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 they just had to have it. Um, and uh, one of my uh, one of my favourite um, quotes about humanity is that this includes Neanderthals. That actually, um, it is absurd for a tropical ape to travel north um, into the uh, into the frozen ice age. It is just absolutely absurd, and yet we did it because we have these cultural buffers. We have things like fire, mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm really. I mean, I, I'm actually I'm a big fan of Neanderthals. I think Neanderthals probably uh, had a form of language. I mean, um, they they certainly had. I think the Fox P2 gene, which is something which has been shown to be uh, crucial for language formation. Uh, and whether or not that was that included the same sort of phonemes that we use, or whether it was something more akin to say, you know, I mean, there were hunter gatherers say in Africa who use clicks and buzzes, you know, that kind of thing to communicate. Very complex ideas when they're tracking animals so that they're not heard. You know, who, who knows? The point is, they had the capacity, um, and they must have deployed this capacity in some way. They almost certainly, though, did it in a very different way to how we did. You know, they're, they're, they didn't produce, it seems, cave art, but maybe they produced art on tree bark and it rotted away. You know, maybe they were just using different mediums. And I, th- I think uh, we've got to we've got to stop doing this with Neanderthals because it's uh, it, it keep it's like we take two steps forward, one step back, and all the time people just keep on wanting to reinforce that stereotype of nope, nothing like us, nothing like us whatsoever. And I think that says. That says more about us, really, than it does right, about ladies the Neanderthals. Ladies and gentlemen, I find the Neanderthal among us. Yeah. Hmm. Mark, you seem just too much of a fan. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of them. <laughs> Interestingly enough, we're, we're still on Neanderthals, but we're on a different story. Now, Mr. Soup, how is your chin? Is it a prominent chin, or do you have a weak chin that you hide with your beard? Well- oh, exactly. This, this is the theory. Maybe, maybe, maybe he grows the beard to hide the fact. <laughs> Um, but no, no, I have, I have a chin. I have a prominent chin. You know, I've been, I've been known to, I've been known to rest my chin on fences and things. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what they do for fun down there? Like seriously? <laughs> oh, jeez. No, that, that, that's back, that's back in Wales. You know. <laughs> what are we going to do today? Oh, what is, <laughs> there's a fence over there. Wow, wow, really selling the Welsh countryside there. Um, but in any case, we can prove you're a Neanderthal or not. By your chin, apparently. So obviously, if you oh, okay. look at um, if you look at a primate or a Neanderthal skull, you'll notice that they don't really have a chin. And this is an interesting thing about humans. Um, wh- why? What? Why do we have chins? Why the chin? Oh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Because it's similar to the question of why do we have eyebrows? As I well. thought the eyebrows is stop um, like um, sweat rolling off our foreheads and like into our eyes and kind of. Ah, uh, uh, well, there is that, but it, it doesn't do that good a job. I think there was a guy, I think in the uh, in in the US who 
stuck eyebrow, yeah, big eyebrows. Um, they no, no, shaved his eyebrows and then did the thing of like having like big sort of cro magnon kind of um, big eyebrows um, for a couple of days, like latex things. And it, it, it doesn't. It, it, the, the, the difference isn't isn't that noticeable. I'm a fan with the eyebrows, at least, and maybe the chin. To be honest, that it's it's useful for um, for nonverbal communication. Okay. So yeah. Uh, did you know? Did you know that uh, in uh, as far as I'm aware. Uh, that in every society on earth if you raise your eyebrows casually when you see someone everyone knows that means hello oh okay apparently that's I'm true really... and, and um, that I find that really really interesting and it's a little bit like there are some universals for, for human for, for example for human babies as well so uh, m and b sounds are almost always the sounds that are used for fathers and, and, uh, and mothers so um in uh, you know things like baba, um, or it could become things like father uh, or mum, uh, or you know th- th- these sort of noises. And uh, it's it's interesting how there are some some species universals it seems for humanity for humanity across the globe. So m and b for for parents sounds that is, and then raising eyebrows very quickly, you know, right that kind of thing um, is a universal thing supposedly. So so maybe the chin is something to do with that. It makes your face, you know, you can actually you can. But then again. I, <laughs> If I saw someone waggling their chin at me, I'd go, what? Can we actually see if you can actually waggle your chin at us? Now, would that be possible? <laughs> so. I don't know. Look, I feel like I'm trying to get peanut butter off the top of my mouth. When I well, we definitely do a lot of chin wagging on this <laughs> podcast episode. Definitely a lot of chin wagging. But uh, it, an, an interesting thing is that one of the studies basically found there's no mechanical use for the chin. So, obviously, if there's no mechanical use for it, then, well, obviously it's something that's adapted for other reasons. So, it, it's, it's in, it, I think it's probably interesting to note that, obviously, it's something to do with, um, you know, uh, verbal communication, but... How does that actually manifest itself? So this this kind of study basically says, well, it's possibly to do with a change in hormone levels. So a uh, change in kind of like, um, namely, uh, reduced testosterone. And this kind of, because testosterone is such a powerful uh, hormone, it can actually change um, physical features. That this ba- this was basically mm-hmm. a change to the main uh, the male craniofacial region, which is kind of interesting um, because obviously if you look at skull differences, um, you see that we well some of us don't have as prominent brow ridges, and we have different skull shapes. I mean Neanderthal skulls were longer, weren't they? I can't remember anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And famously, they had they had more of a yeah. cranial capacity, uh, so potentially larger brains. And yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's interesting um, with regards to that because it may well be that the, a reduction. I mean, this is just pure speculation, but a reduction in testosterone levels is good for uh, a species in so much as it means that maybe the men and the women can get on a bit more. You know, they 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 understand one another a bit more. And maybe maybe that's advantageous when suddenly. Sexual selection isn't about some of the older stuff. It's about this cultural. Are you challenging me? Are you challenging me, man? I fight you. I fight you. My testosterone's fine. My My testosterone's fine. I'll fight you. I fight you. (laughs) 
<laughs> sorry, sorry, getting a little heated. Uh, I mean, and, and uh, to be fair, the Northern Irish accent is already very tos- testosterone, and that's the women. Um, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no, I'm going to get killed. <laughs> oh dear. But it's it's interesting how these kind of adaptations happen because a lot of the time we kind of feel as if, you know, um, we have environmental reasons for people to adapt. You know, when we think of adaptation, especially, you know, when we're talking about evolution through natural selection, there's a lot of talk about a changing environment, things like heat, uh, things like humidity, things like, you know, ice ages and stuff. We don't really talk a lot about how social factors change you know and i find it interesting that we have a story that actually says well actually it's our changing kind of social interactions that may have caused and these kind of changes well or or, or vice versa i mean it may well be that these kind of changes occurred in in a couple of males and they were just more successful with the females and therefore it became you know that this this is the beauty of natural selection is that is that uh you don't have to be good at something to succeed. You know, you don't have to be good at what everyone else is good at in order to succeed. And, and I, find, I find it very interesting that, it, for example, um, you know, in a in a world where, uh, let's say, there's a there's a global world war and everyone goes off to fight. It may well be the people with the gimpy leg or the people who are overweight who survive that because they're not out doing what the rest of the species, the prime of the species, are doing. Um, so when it comes to a chin, <coughs> a chin or, uh, or or lack thereof, it may well be that yeah, that having a, having a slightly different features is combined with an ability to sort of not just go oh oh mm, mm, yes I want that lady. Uh, instead, you're sort of going, how do you feel? <laughs> or 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 the women are like, oh well, these are the only guys left. Oh, I guess I have to. <laughs> I no, I mean I mean that's it's becoming very like uh, I don't know. The thing is that. At the end of the day, you know, there are a lot of different really interesting selection pressures and I feel we're getting quite heteronormative here. You know, we're kind of, <laughs> we're, we're probably uh, <laughs> branching out into. Yeah, but, but, what, no, but the, the, there is the heteronormative element, but come on, let's face it. We're talking about, about the, yeah. the, the survival of the species and how yeah. it is that we've come to be here today. That's through yeah. sexual reproduction. So uh, I don't think we are being heteronormative. We're talking yeah. about sexual selection. Uh, <laughs> <sexual>? Spectral <laughs> selection. <laughs> the ghosts to whose arrives. <laughs> now that would be an interesting theory. Uh, are there any other news stories mm-hmm. that you've got over there that you'd like to uh, bring up? Uh, yeah, well, actually, there is one, but just just very briefly, that, that whole idea of uh, of having this weird um, spectral um, sort of uh, uh, therapist, almost encouraging people to to to, uh, to get involved with one another, uh, it reminds me of um, we used to play this game, and feel free to to you know, not include this in the podcast. We used to play this game uh, in in uh, in one of the dig sites that I was at, where we would. Um, People, lots of people were really into Do- Doctor Who, and I'm sure many people who who are archaeologists love Doctor Who. And uh, and we were saying, what would what would a doc- you know, for example, a Dalek be doing on an archaeological site if they were trying to sort of you know normalize themselves, if they were trying to integrate into human human society? So obviously they'd be saying you know, excavate on an archaeological site, this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a strange one. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway. Yes, I do in fact have a news story. Um, another one, so that I'd like to mention, uh, and that is it's it's, it's slightly off off uh, off kilter, but it's it's to do with um, the recovery of one hundred and seventy year old champagne. Um, 
and it's uh, not only being recovered from the Baltic Sea, but also that it uh, is drinkable, supposedly, and that it's been sold at auction. Um, so, for example, let's just check. Uh, yeah, around uh, two bottles, sorry, in 2011, two bottles were auctioned off, um, and one was sold for €30,000. And, uh, and I think this brings up a few interesting questions um, uh, for archaeologists. First of all, the... Um, the one that I find very interesting is actually this is one of those rare instances where you can actually drink or eat something from the past. I mean, it's only 170 years, but for example, recently there was someone uh, tried some mammoth meat when um, when a lovely baby mammoth was discovered, and they chopped a bit off the carcass because it was so well preserved. Uh, and this 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 capacity to have this sort of this extra dimension to history is is rare. So I think that's really cool. And apparently it tasted cheesy, metallic, and sweet. Um, but I don't know, what, do, you, do you have any thoughts on that in terms of you know, the, 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 things like music, like food, like sa- you know, general sounds? Uh, do you think that, that's something that sometimes is missing from our interpretation? I think that this is the only time, right, where the past exists, right? You know, like, usually, right, I'm, I'm, I'm of the belief that the past is created in the present, that we kind of take ideas and, like, we work out the mess of the past to work out what's going on, but we are actively creating it right now. It's not like we can take a piece of the past, you know, and have it preserved and it's still the past and it doesn't exist here in the, as part of the present. Whereas these things, like, their taste and their kind of smells and everything those are from the past you know what i mean and i i find mm. it really interesting mm-hmm. i'd love to try ancient food you know that's been preserved like yeah i would love to try a mammoth steak you know uh even like a small yeah. a little yeah. mammoth steak um that mm-hmm. would be really really cool or try a beer that was brewed like a gazillion years ago. A gazillion is a scientific term. <laughs> um, but I, I'd love to... Like, this is why I don't know if you ever tried any of the ancient ales or, like, the kind of the beers that are brewed from the recipes made up from uh, ancient times. I think those are really, mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. cool. Those recreated ales are not from the past, but this, this, this 170-year-old bottle, that is from the past. Like, you drink that, you drank exactly what the people in that time drank. Um, maybe they thought it was cheesy, <laughs> metallic, and like, what was the last? Sweet, sweet. Um, well, interestingly, it says that it was found on a trade route to the Russian Empire, and that the sugar levels um, but so, but the, the sugar levels in the in the champagne suggest otherwise, because Russians were apparently known to consume uh, champagne with a sugar content higher than three hundred grams per liter, uh, but the shipwreck bottles had less than half of that. So, it, the, the, actually, what's interesting there is is we're able to use that the uh, the records of the past to substantiate and interrogate the experience of the past. So, by drinking it. Um, we're actually able, and well, I'm, I suppose more to the point, and analysing it in a lab, we're able to, um, uh, to to experience the past, but then actually uh-huh. see how it matches up with with what the past says about itself. And I, I think that's really, really. What if funky. somebody was trying to shortchange the Russians? You know, like we know you like it sweet, but you know, oh, we can't change it now. You just add your own sugar. You know, exactly, exactly. Well, who knows? Maybe the ship was just <clears throat> Russian. The recipe. Get out! Out! <laughs> 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 Damn it! 
I, this, this is a serious. This is a serious you're, issue. You're, <laughs> shut up! You just sunk my podcast. You know that? <laughs> you sunk I'm gonna. I'm gonna ship you off. <laughs> okay, right. This is getting really bad. Uh, <laughs> see, this is the other thing about archaeologists. They all like bad jokes. I've yet yeah. to meet an archaeologist with like who, who's like had a, well a series of good jokes. Actually, wait a minute. Oh, what was it? I did hear an amazing one off an archaeological stand-up. What did he say? Oh, what is it? Oh, why is it more expensive to do archaeology in Italy? Oh, I don't know. The Roman charges. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, that's horrible. That's it's horrible. good. It's, it's, it's amazing. That's why it's horrible, because it's, like, too good. <laughs> You're kind of like, yeah, oh, yeah. damn it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Well, I've got another one. Why is, a, why is an archaeologist in the, uh, in the Peak District uh, very unhappy? No idea. Because they're surrounded by all the cans in the world. Oh dear! <laughs> no, that's not mine. That's not mine, oh, by the way. <laughs> oh dear! Well, actually, no. Okay, here's a better one. Here's a better one. This is actually a good one. This is mine, actually. Um, <clears throat> uh, I once overheard. This isn't really a joke. This is more like a story. But this is a true story. Once overheard this uh, couple, yeah, in a museum. And a little old lady, a little old man, and they're looking at this um, this statue. And they, yeah. they, she's looking at the date of the statue. And she goes, um, uh, and so, so he, he goes, um, BC, I can't remember if that comes first or, or last. You know, which one comes before, which one? AD, BC. And then the wife comes over in all seriousness and looks at him like he's an idiot and goes, BC goes in the middle. Hello? A, B, C, D. And that's that was real. That was real. That's not really. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's not funny. Maybe that's 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 tragic. <laughs> like, that is tragic. Know? That's tragic. Oh dear. Yeah. I I I, I shed a, a tear. I really it was horrible. Um. I mean, kind of funny, but you know. Oh jeez. Yeah. He he walked away going, oh yes, yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> oh archaeology, <laughs> you're so funny. Oh well. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Mr. Soup, for this wonderful soup and sandwich meal deal session. If you're interested, where can we find you, Mr. Soup? Where do you exist on the internet? Where can you find me? Um, wherever there is a need of archaeological education. Sorry. If you were to go to your browser of choice and just type in Archeo Soup, um, spelled as it sounds, I suppose, Archeo soup um and then you're, i'm sure you'll come across me but uh, ultimately uh, it's been a pleasure hopefully people like uh, this this discussion it's, it's a bit informal a bit unscripted but hopefully it, a it, bit uh, unscripted. it goes come on mr soup <laughs> we did no preparation <laughs> <laughs> thought, sorry, i thought you were going to say what do you mean i've got everything written down that's, here that's like, <laughs> all the jokes and everything it's like i yeah, yeah. Did you not get my email? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But yes. Anyway, I mean, if, if this, if uh, I'd like to think, if this is, if this people like this, I'd, I'd be more than happy to come back. And maybe it'll get better. You know. Oh yeah. Give it a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Soup and Sandwich. If you want to check out any of uh, Mr. Soup's stuff, it's, of course, in the notes. If you want to check out my stuff, I run a show called the Anarchaeologist Podcast, which is what you've probably 
are listening to this one, because it's on the same feed. If you're interested in any of the stuff, you can head over to the Archaeology Podcast Network. We have seven shows broadcasting at all time during the week. You should you can just download the shows to your phone, to your MP3 player, whatever you want, and carry them around with you. We would love to hear uh, about any feedback on any of the shows. It'd be absolutely fantastic. And if you have an idea for a show, remember you can get in contact with us as well. We have two shows in the pipeline. We're ready, ready to release them onto the world. In the meantime, catch up on the CRM Archaeology Podcast, my show, The Anarchaeologist. We have Profiles in CRM. We have, uh, what do we have? Archaeological Fantasies, which is about debunking pseudo-archaeology. So if you're interested in that, definitely give them a listen. We have so many really really cool shows uh, a show out of Sheffield Archaeology and Ale amazing series of lectures so definitely get down and check that out in the meantime much love from me and I'll catch you whenever I release another show which should be much more regular thank you this has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.